0: Good morning, Grace242. My name is Melinda Plahman, and today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person, and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that town or home and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the Day of Judgment than for that town. Hey Grace242, back in 1991, Saturday Night Live aired a skit called The Richmeister. The skit takes place in an office where a young worker by the name of Rich has his desk located near the copy machine. And as people come to make their copies, Rich riffs on their names. But punctuated amidst his riffs, he says, MAKING copies" in this very distinct cadence and tone. Let's watch. Hey, Richard, just making some copies. The Tom Man, making copies. (laughs) The Tomster, (laughs) Tomaruski. The Tummeister. Grace 242's mission statement is being, making, multiplying disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is a learner of Jesus. A disciple is a copy of Jesus. Making copies. And we like to map our mission statement onto the relationship triangle. The mission begins with your up relationship with God. The first word in Grace 242's mission is being. We have to be disciples of Jesus first. The mission flows out of your up relationship with God. You can't be a copy of Jesus if you don't have a vibrant up relationship with Jesus. And we just looked at how disciples in a rightly ordered relationship with King Jesus have the authority and power to accomplish Jesus's mission. The next word in Grace 242's mission is making. We want to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. Said another way, as disciples of Jesus, we are in the business of making copies of Jesus. Making disciples means making copies of Jesus. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes says, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, Clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself, are simply a waste of time. Or we might amend Lewis's quote for our purposes today to say, the church exists for nothing else but for making copies of Jesus. So how does Jesus make disciples? How does Jesus make copies of himself? Well, this is the in part of the triangle. He looks within his circle of influence. He looks into the sphere of people who are closest to him. And I find Jesus' method for making copies of himself strikingly simple. Let's look at that method today. Turn with me to Matthew and look at Matthew chapter nine. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus says, there's a great harvest of people coming to know me and coming to know my father. But the problem is there are not enough people working toward that mission of helping people come to know me and helping people come to know my Father. So the problem is we need more workers in my kingdom. We need more workers in my harvest field. We need more workers efforting to bring people to knowledge of myself and knowledge of my Father. So how does Jesus address this problem? Look at Matthew 10:1, And what does Jesus do? He calls 12 disciples. Jesus adds 12 workers into his harvest field. And then between Matthew 10 verse one and up through our scripture reading today, Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples on how to do the work in his harvest field how to be his harvest field workers he's instructing them on his method of making copies of himself and let's look at this strikingly simple method in matthew chapter 10 and we'll begin reading at verse 11 whatever town or village you enter search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave as you enter the home give it your greeting if the home is deserving let your peace rest on it if it is not let your peace return to you If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Jesus sends his disciples to all of these towns with a blessing of peace. And then in verse 12 and 13, Jesus says, As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. Jesus is telling his disciples, when you arrive to a town, find someone who is open to you. Find someone who is receptive to you. And then offer your peace blessing upon their household. Now the offering of peace was far more than just a perfunctory greeting. This is not us here in the United States saying, hi, how you doing? And it's just sort of perfunctory. It's just what you say. This is way more than that. This connects to an announcement of the kingship of God. Look at Isaiah 52 verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. The peace blessing was a declaration of God's rule, God's reign, God's presence, His sovereignty, his blessing and his protection over the household. There's a line in our national anthem that goes, and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. (laughs) Francis Scott Key penned that line during the war of 1812, when the British were raining bombs upon Fort McHenry in Maryland. And throughout the night, the British bombed that fort, and the glow that lit up the night from the bombs revealed in a split second of light that the flag still flew over Fort McHenry. The stars and stripes still flew over Fort McHenry, meaning all is well. This territory, this fort, still belongs to the United States. The United States' flag still stands over Fort McHenry. That's what inspired that line in the national anthem. The flag indicated to whom the territory belonged. And the peace blessing was like planting a flag over the household. It was like planting the flag of God's kingdom in the home. It was establishing the household as territory that belonged to God. So the disciples would enter the home of someone who is peaceful to them. They would plant the flag of Yahweh by declaring the peace blessing. But then the home had the opportunity to either accept that blessing, accept the planting of the flag, or reject the peace blessing, or reject the planting of the flag. Look at Matthew 10, verse 13. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If the household accepted the blessing, then the protection, the rule, the sovereignty of Yahweh would be established over that home. But if the household rejected the flag planting, if the household rejected the peace blessing, well then the blessing would return to the disciple who proclaimed it, sort of almost like an uncashed check. Now look back at Jesus' instructions in Matthew 10, verse 11. Jesus says, whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. Jesus instructs his disciples to enter a town and upon entering a town, they are to search for someone who is worthy. Now, the worthiness of the person is determined entirely upon their response to the offering of peace. If the person accepts the peace offering, then they have proven themselves to be a worthy person. However, if they reject the peace offering, then they have proven themselves to be an unworthy person. The ESV in Matthew 10.13 says, If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. The worthiness of the person is determined entirely upon their response to the declaration of Yahweh's rule and reign. Now, what I want us to notice is that this is Jesus' method for making copies of himself. This is Jesus' method for making disciples. This is Jesus' method for adding workers to his harvest field. This is Jesus' method for populating the kingdom of God. This is Jesus' method. Now, I talk about this a lot, but it's part of the vernacular here at Grace 242. This method of Jesus is called the person of peace method. Why? Because Jesus instructs his disciples to go find people of peace, people who are peaceful, people who are open to Yahweh's rule and reign, people who are worthy because they accept the idea of Yahweh's rule and reign. Jesus' method is strikingly simple because it is the person of peace method And Jesus is instructing his disciples to go find receptive people. He is telling his disciples, work with the willing, or said another way, go with the goers. It's an incredibly simple method, this person of peace method for making disciples that Jesus sends his disciples out with. I mean, get this, Jesus' method is so simple that he just opens himself up to others and watches how they respond. And those who don't respond are not people of peace, and those who do respond are people of peace, and those are the ones he works with. This is his method, the person of peace method. Open up yourself who responds, and work with the ones who do respond. Now I just want to pause here to say that the Great Commission is not optional for followers of Jesus. If you are a disciple of Jesus, making disciples is mandatory work. If you are a follower of Jesus, we are commanded by Jesus to make disciples. That is the mission. The mission is not optional for disciples of Jesus. To use language from our mission at Grace242, we cannot be disciples without making disciples and we cannot make disciples without being disciples. The two go hand in hand. You cannot be a disciple without making disciples. And to use Abrahamic language, Abraham was never intended to hoard the blessing to himself. He was blessed, but he was blessed for a purpose. He was blessed to be a blessing. He was blessed to bring the rule and reign of Yahweh to the globe, to show others who God is, to introduce knowing the God of the universe to others. That was Abraham's task. He was never to hoard the blessing for himself. He was blessed to be a blessing for others. Similarly, disciples of Jesus cannot hoard discipleship to themselves. It is mandatory that they disciple others. Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. The making part is not optional. So if making disciples is mandatory work, well then we have a choice to make, don't we? We can either make disciples our own way or we can make disciples Jesus' way. If all of us as followers of Jesus, if we as a church are mandated, are commanded to make disciples, then we can either invent our own method or we can follow Jesus' method. That's the choice we have to make. And I'm just gonna play my hand as strongly as I can play it right now. I'm putting my cards out on the table I choose Jesus' method. Why am I choosing Jesus' method? Well, I'm just gonna make the assumption that if it's the method Jesus uses, then it's gonna work far better than any method that I could devise. And I don't even need to make that assumption. I know from experience that Jesus' method works far better than my own methods that I could devise. The times that I've adopted Jesus' method of making disciples, I have been far more effective As a harvest field worker than when i try to devise my own methods of making disciples and even beyond experience the bible tells us and the bible shows us that jesus's method is far more effective than any methods that we could possibly devise and so hear me today grace 242 i choose jesus's method for making disciples i choose people of peace method and finally i choose people of peace method because it is so simple. Not only is it Jesus' way, not only does it work better, not only does the Bible show us that Jesus' way works better, but it's so simple. Now, when I talk about Jesus' person of peace method, one of the questions that often comes up is, Bill, is this person of peace thing like a one-on-one thing or is it like a small group thing? And the answer is both. I think this works well in both circumstances. I mean, Jesus had 12 disciples I think it works well as a one-on-one thing. I think it works well as a small group thing, although if you're going to do a small group, you really have to pay attention to how many are in the group. In my experience, you probably want to cap the group number at eight. You certainly want to cap it at ten, because otherwise the group gets too full. And if that's the case, if you have ten or twelve people, then I would suggest you subdivide into two smaller groups. But I think the person of peace method works really well, both for one-on-one contexts or small group contexts the time that it does not work well is with large crowds. And we see that in Scripture that Jesus did not use this method when he engaged large crowds. So I want us to ask ourselves this morning, who are people of peace to us? Who is a person of peace to you? Or who are people of peace to you? Who's in your sphere of influence? Who's close to you? Who's in in space with you? Or who has the potential to be in in space? with you? Who is open to you? Who is intrigued by you? Who has curious questions about who you are, what you believe, and the way you live? Who are you friends with? When you extend a peace blessing, or when you offer the hand of friendship to someone, or when you open yourself up to someone, who's someone that's going to respond to that offer? Author Mike Breen in the book, Building a Discipling Culture says, our main job is to walk through life with our eyes open and our ears listening to the Spirit as He reveals to us the person of peace He has prepared. If you have time to discuss the message in your house church today, I want you to talk about who might be a person of peace in your life. You can go around the room and have people share. Maybe even write a name down somewhere. Maybe write a few names down somewhere. Or, if you already have a person of peace, or if you're already discipling someone, or if you're already being discipled by someone or someones, write those names down. And then when it comes to prayer time, be praying over those names that you wrote down. Be praying that those of us who don't have people of peace might find a person of peace. That the Holy Spirit might reveal this person to them. Or if you're already in a discipling relationship with a person of peace, pray over that relationship as a group. Let's lift these names up. The last thing I'll talk about in this week's message is that the elders and deacons as part of the yearly retreat that they take in the beginning part of every year are going to be contacting each and every one of the households here at Grace 242. And they're going to be making contact with each household at Grace 242 because we want to know two things. Number one, we want to know how you're doing personally. I mean, we've all undergone a whole lot in these past two years. I feel like I have lived an entire lifetime in the past two years. And there have been lots of challenges and lots of pain and lots of heartache and lots of hardship that all of us have had to face in the past two years. And the elders and deacons are going to be contacting you just asking, how are you, really? How have you been doing these past two years? What are the challenges you've been facing? And then one of our hopes for all this is that the elders and deacons are able to generate a new list of prayers for the congregation based off of hearing how life has been for you over the past two years. We'd love to be lifting up those prayer concerns that you have. And I can speak for the leadership confidently when I say we love having things, specific things, that we can be praying for you for as a leadership. Every single monthly meeting of the elders and deacons, we take time at the beginning of the meeting to pray and lift up the concerns of our congregation. So first of all, our elders and deacons are gonna be checking in on you and asking, how are you doing personally? And then secondly, they're going to be asking you, how are you doing spiritually? As far as your faith walk, how has it been? what's alive in your faith walk what's dead in your faith walk what's a struggle in your faith walk what's a story in your faith walk that we can celebrate along with the lord we want to hear good things too what's god doing in your midst how have you seen him work or maybe you're going to say i haven't really seen the lord working and then we can have a talk about that as well they're going to be asking you how you're doing according to the mission does the mission make sense do you know what this means what does it mean to be make And multiply a disciple where are you amongst those three words do you feel like you're being a disciple do you feel like you're making a disciple do you feel like you're able to train your disciples to multiply other disciples have you seen that they might even ask you about the relationship triangle how's your up relationship with god how's your in relationship with god and others and how's your out relationship with the world that you live in They might be asking you these different questions, but they also want to know how are you doing spiritually. The elders and deacons are going to be making those calls and those points of contact with every household over the course of the next month. So expect a call from an elder or a deacon over this next month. If for some reason it's been like a month and you haven't heard from an elder or a deacon, reach out to us, you can reach out to me. We really want to make sure that we make contact with every household. We really care about you guys and we want to hear how things are going for all of you. I love you, Grace242. I'll see you next week in part two of this message where we delve deeper into Jesus' person of peace method. I'll see you next time, Grace242.